Join Edwin Frondozo on the Business Leadership Podcast every week for a unique program featuring insights and actionable items from the world's most successful business leaders. Hear firsthand the exclusive interviews and personal journeys on how today's transformational leaders made it to the top. Surveillance, the tracking of your activities by companies such as Google and Facebook, but also definitely by governments without a doubt. So privacy became this huge growing issue. And you see, for me, privacy is so important because privacy forms the foundation of our freedom. You cannot have free and open societies without a strong foundation of privacy. This is the Business Leadership Podcast, and I'm your host, Edwin Frondoso. Welcome. How are you doing? Thank you for joining me today. This is episode number 107, and my guest today is Dr. Anne Kavokian. Dr. Kavokian is recognized as one of the world's leading privacy experts. She served an unprecedented three terms as the Information and Privacy Commissioner of Ontario, Canada, where she created Privacy by Design, a framework that seeks to proactively embed privacy into the design specifications of information technologies, network infrastructure, and business practices, thereby achieving the strongest protection possible. In 2010, international privacy regulators unanimously passed a resolution recognizing privacy by design as an international standard. Since then, privacy by design has been translated into 40 languages. She is presently the distinguished expert in residence, leading the Privacy by Design Center of Excellence at Ryerson University. And in this episode, we discuss when privacy became a huge growing issue and why it's really important, how to gain a competitive advantage by implementing privacy by design into your business, and why some people think privacy is dead, plus the evolution of the decentralized model of data collection and privacy engineering. Lastly, we touch upon the AI ethics and why it's such a hot topic today. This episode is brought to you by Slingshot VoIP, a leader in business voice AI technology systems that help companies align and understand what the customers are saying when they are calling in. The Business Leadership Podcast is a friend of the ITWC Podcast Network and supported by our media partner, IT World Canada. Thank you to those who have left a rating and comment on Apple Podcasts. I really appreciate it. This latest one from Redsniff, they write, I've been an early listener to TBLP and find that Edwin's able to strike on a topic that gets people thinking about things. I love that he doesn't stick to service comments and gets his guests into the hot seat. This is where the real learning happens. Really appreciate that, Red Sniff, and thank you for all the kind words. So when you do rate and leave a comment, I will read it on the next episode. Now here we go. Welcome to the Business Leadership Podcast, Anne. Many thanks. It's a pleasure to do this. So, Anne, maybe if you could just actually start off by introducing yourself to our listeners today. If you could tell us, who is Anne and what does she like <laughs> doing when she's not leading businesses and industries? Well, privacy is my passion, without a doubt. I started this long time ago. Um, I was Privacy Commissioner of, on of Ontario for 
17 years. And uh, before that, I was the assistant commissioner and the director of compliance. I, I started, I, I dare I say it, um, in 88. And it's just been such an amazing experience because privacy, uh, before the World Wide Web, you know, privacy wasn't that big a deal. The internet was calm. And then it just exploded. The web happened in, in 1990. Uh, all of the issues associated with centralized data collection arose and grew big time. Surveillance, the tracking of your activities by companies such as Google and Facebook, but also definitely by governments without a doubt. So privacy became this huge growing issue. And you see, for me, privacy is so important because privacy forms the foundation of our freedom. You cannot have free and open societies without a strong foundation of privacy. And, and we know this. Uh, it's no accident that Germany is the leading privacy and data protection country in the world. And it's no accident they had to endure the abuses of the Third Reich and the complete cessation of all of their privacy and their freedom. And when that ended, they literally said, never again, never again will we allow the straight the state to rob us of our privacy and our freedom. And they stood by that. They're amazing. So to me, privacy is not just a job. It's, it's my passion. I want to ensure that our children, our grandchildren, enjoy the freedoms we've enjoyed by having a solid foundation in privacy. So this is why I live and breathe privacy. Well, I mean, it, it's really fascinating, and especially how you mentioned and when you were working as the commissioner. I mean, I don't know, at the time when you're in the role, if you were, you know, had foresight in terms of what was going to happen with this explosion uh, and with the framework and, and be, this being a podcast in terms of business leadership. And I'm wondering at the time or even it, it, it doesn't have to be then. It could be anytime even sooner. Like, I'd love it if you could share some some of those like difficult decisions, you know, as you were creating this this role or implementing some of these yes. policies. Like what what yeah. what, what was they? Yeah. What were they? Even when I was privacy commissioner, I always said treat privacy as a business issue and gain a competitive advantage by doing it. Don't rely on regulatory compliance because, you see, the laws are here, but it's almost like the day the laws enacted, it's already lags behind the technologies that are advancing at record pace. So it's very, very important to impress upon businesses that it is in your best interest to protect your customer's privacy, not invade it. And I created Privacy by Design in the late 90s, 99, and it was all about framing privacy proactively as a, a method of prevention to prevent the privacy harms from arising, embed privacy protective measures proactively into the design of your operations, bake it into the code, bake it into your data architecture so that you can benefit from having privacy and data utility, privacy and business interests, not one versus the other. One of the things I hate is the data zero-sum model of either or. You can have privacy versus security or privacy versus marketing interests. It's nonsense. And it's never privacy that wins. But nor do I want it to win over the other interests. But I sure as heck wasn't going to have it lose out all the time. So privacy by design is predicated on a positive-sum model, which means you can have two positive gains at the same time. It's as simple and as difficult as replacing versus with and privacy and business interests. That was always my mantra. And that's how we have to proceed. 
I mean that that's super interesting and and in terms of like you know the mindset where where you're coming from and really having that knowledge or that wisdom in terms of instilling that that as you mentioned privacy by design and no one has to lose right it's basically what you're saying um really what we're just trying to do is just just protect our rights right it, it, from the start Exactly. And like you said, there should be no losers. Uh, uh, Privacy by design is a win-win model where multiple parties win. And I always want businesses to win at privacy to protect their customers' privacy and realize that they gain a competitive advantage by doing that because businesses generally haven't been very good at doing this. And so those companies that do lead with privacy by design they, you know, I always tell them, if you're going to do privacy by design, don't keep it to yourself. Shout it from the rooftops. Tell your customers the lengths you're going to to protect their privacy. And they will reward you with their repeat business and you will develop a trusted business relationship with them. That is lagging now dramatically. <clears throat> there is such a, bi- a trust deficit and there's huge concern over people's privacy. I've never seen privacy concern as high as it is now in the 90 percentile consistently in terms of concern for privacy. So it's incumbent upon businesses to understand that they're not just doing this for themselves. They're doing it for their customers and themselves. Both parties win. And once people understand this, I speak to many businesses and I always lead by saying, I want you to put aside your preconceived notions of privacy because most businesses think that privacy stifles innovation and creativity. It's the exact opposite. You will have multiple gains by letting your customers know the respect you have for them and the lengths you're going to to protect their privacy. As I said, they will reward you with their loyalty and it will attract new opportunity. So you make it a win-win proposition. I mean, that's great. Can you talk to me and talk to us um, how... Basically, your concept of private by design was adopted by international privacy authorities all around the world. Yes. yes. So privacy by design was uh, when I was privacy commissioner. Once a year, there's a privacy commissioner's conference, usually in Europe. In 2010, it was in Jerusalem. And at the end of a three or four day conference, we have a half day closed session just restricted to commissioners. And we're allowed to introduce resolutions that the entire assembly of privacy commissioners and data protection authorities can vote on. And that year, I introduced a resolution that privacy by design uh, complement regulatory compliance, that we voted in, we we vote on it um, to establish it as an international standard that will complement proactively privacy protective measures in in an effort to prevent the privacy harms and data breaches from arising. It was a model of prevention, much like a a medical model of prevention. And the amazing thing, to my surprise, was that this resolution was unanimously passed. I was delighted. But the reason I was surprised is most commissioners are what I call lawyers' lawyers. They're they're brilliant. They like to apply Section 29, Sub 2, Part A to the (laughs) fact situation and get a wonderful resolution. And that's, that's very important, no question. But what I realized after talking to my colleagues afterwards and thanking them for unanimously passing privacy by design as an international standard, what I realized is they shared the same view that I did, that we as commissioners were only seeing the tip of the iceberg. 
in terms of all the privacy harms these days, that the majority of the harms were remaining largely unknown, unchallenged, unregulated because of the massive growth of ubiquitous computing, online connectivity, social media abounding, they weren't coming to the attention of the regulators. So that was completely unacceptable to the commissioners. And they, what, what we all decided was that we could no longer rely on regulatory compliance as the sole means of protecting privacy, that that was no longer sustainable. And we needed proactive means, such as privacy by design, to ideally prevent the massive number of privacy harms from arising. And we've had great success with it since then. This was passed in um, 2010 as an international standard. And since then, privacy by design has been translated into 40 languages all around the world. Uh, when I was commissioner, not a week would go by when I wouldn't hear from some jurisdiction on what they were doing in their area. Uh, Japan was an early adopter and JIPDEC, the Japanese Information Processing Development Center, sent me this lovely letter uh, in my last term, 20 and 2014, when I finished my third term as commissioner. And they said, we have embraced privacy by design in Japan. We have abandoned zero-sum models in favor of positive-sum, and we are committed, uh, especially in terms of privacy engineers and uh, cryptographers to ensuring the future of privacy by design. So I was delighted, and we've had great success with it. Well, that's that's amazing, and I congratulate you, Anne, in terms of bringing oh, yeah bringing that forward. And and me being a Canadian, I love I love the fact that you know Canadians are leading the for <laughs> the, leading the forefront always in technology. I'm in I'm an old telco uh, engineer, okay. so so I I have a lot of pride in terms of the telecommunications oh, work that we well, did. Uh, yes, <laughs> if I can add one more thing, then yeah. that you can be proud of. Uh, in last year, in uh, May of last year, in the European Union, this new law came into effect, the General Data Protection Regulation, which has raised the bar dramatically on privacy and data protection, uh, ensuring that personal control over one's data is essential, an essential component of the law, and also adding privacy by design. They added my privacy by design actually into the law and also the second foundational principle of the seven principles, uh, privacy as the default, is also those words are in the law, in the GDPR. So as Canadians, we can be proud that our framework is now reflected globally through the new EU law. That's amazing. Well, thank you for thank you for all your work, Anne. That's that's oh, super thanks. great. I I know with uh, with the with the program, the privacy privacy by design you also developed the ambassador program like basically recruiting yes some of the largest innovative companies to embrace this um and make it a powerful enough brand that firms like facebook are at least yeah. paying a little oh. lip service to it <laughs> god only lip service i assure you but most most ambassadors were the real thing and i did i did the privacy by design ambassador program while i was commissioner and when i left I started a privacy by design certification program where you could actually get certified as a company for a particular product or service you're offering. If, for example, TELUS has been certified multiple times. They're one of our leading telcos, as you know, in Canada. And they have come to me on multiple occasions to um, certify them that they're doing privacy by design in various offerings that they have. So we've been very successful that way. You know what's really interesting, and, and and I mean this is very Canadian centric. Um, for some of the listeners who may not know, Telus is a, a national telecommunications company, and it's interesting to me that 
you, you mentioned they're sort of the leaders in this privacy by design, and you had mentioned that you know they should be advocates and really talk about it. I haven't, and maybe I don't pay enough attention, and I haven't heard them talk about them being this super private, and that's maybe the distinguisher from them. And you know, they're competitors. And if they do, yes. like, or if they don't, why? Why do you think that? Um, actually, I it may be in different offerings. I have heard them uh, really applaud uh, the measures they take for privacy. Their um, their motto is "Customers first, privacy first. So they do go to great lengths to protect privacy, and um, maybe they should shout it from the rooftops a little more. I'll mention it to them. <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> that, that, it's just really interesting because I do believe in terms of advocating the lengths that you do f- to protect yours your clients. And if TELUS, or they are, not if, because TELUS is a big advocate. Yes. And it, it's interesting that that's not the first thing that comes to mind. Like they should just be, hey, we're the number one private company in Canada, if not the world, <laughs> right? Like that would okay, be- Okay, I'm going to mention that to them for sure. <laughs> <laughs> you can even tell them to listen to this podcast. <laughs> yes, indeed, indeed. But just know that they offer great products and services and privacy is always top of mind for them. A hundred percent, I agree. Um, Talk to me now, since 2014, you left as um, the commissioner now, and currently you have a position, a couple of roles, I think, at Ryerson University that basically yes. is allowing you to raise the awareness around privacy uh, at a time when some people may consider it's dead right now. Well, you know, we, we always have a challenge in raising awareness of privacy issues, and that's something that I go to great lengths to do. Uh, usually every morning, I get at least one or two calls from the media for media interviews on the latest privacy stories that have broken overnight. I always make a point of doing that. I drop whatever else I'm doing, unless it's a speaking engagement, of course. And I always make sure I take whatever media requests for interviews I have, because I want to raise awareness on the part of the public. I want to make sure that they don't give up on privacy. I'm sure you've seen many stories that say, look, privacy is dead you know, give it up. I say, the hell with that. You give it up. Privacy is not dead. It's alive and well. It's grown in the EU. Countries all around the world are trying to introduce laws that mirror the general data protection regulation in the EU. We will be upgrading our privacy laws in here in Canada for the first time in the United States. They're introducing, they're actually talking about introducing national privacy legislation for the private sector, which they've never had before. So this is an ideal time to Make sure that we are aware of what privacy protective measures we can call upon and ask for more. You know, I tell people whenever you buy something, ask them, um, oh, you're only using that information for this particular purpose uh, for the purchase that I've just made, right? You're not going to use it for anything else. Usually the clerk won't know, so they'll call the manager. Once the manager realizes you care about privacy, they say, oh, of course, we won't use your information for any other purpose. If we want to, we'll come back to you to obtain your positive consent. A lot of the time, you just have to make your aware and make whoever you're dealing with aware of the fact that you care deeply about privacy and you want it protected. And they will go to great lengths to do that. As I mentioned, my for me, privacy by design certification has grown enormously because if you're certified for privacy by design, you can show the EU that you're acting in good faith because the new law has privacy by design in it. Here in North America, our laws are not sufficient and not considered equi- essentially equivalent to the new EU law. But if you're doing privacy by design on your own because you don't need a law for it, you just have to follow the seven foundational principles, then 
you can show them you're acting in good faith. And this makes a big difference, both for business and for your personal interest. So we just, this is actually an ideal time to grow privacy by design and privacy worldwide. This is the opportunity I've been waiting for. So I have great expectations. <laughs> you be, you've been dreaming about this all your life, right? <laughs> and <laughs> Well, it really, it, it took 20 years. I created Privacy by Design 20 years ago, but now it's part of the biggest law globally. So I always tell people, be patient and persistent. Don't give up. If you are enjoying our conversations and have any comments, questions that relate to Privacy by Design, I would love to hear from you. Please join me on my Facebook group where I will discuss this episode, share daily insights, answer your questions, and also connect you with other like-minded business leaders. Simply go to thebusinessleadership.com slash FB group or search for the Business Leadership Group directly in Facebook. I'd love to see you there. Now let's get back to it. I just wanted to ask and maybe understand for those who are listening because you know talking to you it's it's pretty apparent that privacy is there it's in the background so where's that narrative coming when it comes to people saying that privacy is dead is it that just because people are just throwing their information out anywhere and not even reading or understanding what's happening you know i i don't blame them for thinking that at times because with the existing model of, of data that we have, which is largely centralized models, where like a Facebook or Google, they collect all of your personal information and retain it in their centralized databases, then it's easy for them to do whatever they want with the data. You, you have no control. And that's why people are giving up. They say, well, look, it doesn't matter what I do. They're going to do whatever they want with the data. And the, that's what we're, we're shifting now. We're going in the direction of what's called decentralized models of data collection. I'll just give you a very quick story. Last year, uh, Tim Berners-Lee, the creator of the World Wide Web, he went public and he said, I'm horrified at what I've created in the web because it's become this centralized model of tracking and surveillance of people's activities. And he said, I'm horrified at that. I'm now creating a decentralized model. So he's starting afresh. So a lot of us are looking at decentralized models that we are creating. Um, I'm working with Microsoft, for example, they're creating decentralized identity, where your identity would not be retained centrally, but could be retained in um, uh, a secure enclave in the cloud, and you would be the one who would control it. This is huge. And you're going to see more and more decentralized models evolving now that we do have enormous cloud, cloud structures that can be encrypted and secured, and you will be in control of them. So, it's not surprising that people may have thought privacy was dead in the past because uh, there has been such a massive growth of surveillance of our activities. But I want to give people hope that's changing and we're just starting the whole decentralization movement. So stay tuned and don't give up. That's amazing. And just before I move on, and for those who are listening and maybe really interested in terms of these decentralized uh, hubs of information for privacy, where should we look or what we should we search for? And I'll definitely put the link on the website as well. Well, of course, think of peer-to-peer -peer models. Think of the blockchain, for example. That's probably the easiest example to, to give. Uh, blockchain has no centralized control. They're nodes, they're peer-to-peer, -peer, and... Um, it, it's a remarkable new way of looking at things. And you have companies like Enigma based in out of uh, MIT. They're offering 
uh, blockchain models that are totally decentralized with privacy fully implemented with them throughout. So we are increasingly beginning to see these models peer-to-peer. I'm working, as I said, with a number of organizations and companies to make this grow. There's something called smart data that we're working on. I'm working on with colleagues at uh, U of T where the data, you would have a smart data agent. It would be your own personal software assistant. And the smart data agent would act on your behalf where your data would not be retained centrally, but you would have your own secure enclave in a cloud. You would instruct it on what to do. Smart data, um, give me some times for flights to uh, Seattle on these dates. Give me the best flights, the best times. Um, Or smart data, look up this thing for me on Amazon or wherever. I want to know how to find out more about a particular company. Or smart data, get me this information. So you would have your own personal data assistant totally decentralized the data would belong to you and would be under your personal control win-win that's great i can't wait to i I can't wait to get my hands on that me me being a technical (laughs) i I used to i was a computer engineer at one time in the life but like this this stuff just like you got me you got me moving you got me at hello and oh i'm so glad (laughs) and the thing is with engineers with Privacy engineering is really growing now, and privacy engineering brings privacy by design to life. It embeds it into the engineering structure, into the code. So I just think we're going to see great things in the future. Amazing, amazing. Um, Just a little switch gears. I know you're working on amazing things, Anne, and I know there's some new things as well. So can you tell us about your new AI ethics uh, by design approach and why AI ethics is, is really the hot topic now, and why are we discussing it? Yeah, and I, I didn't realize it was going to be such a hot topic. I developed the uh, my AI ethics by design uh, principles about two years ago when we were just starting to talk about AI, but the concern for bias associated with AI and algorithmic discrimination was just beginning. And what I realized was we had to look under the hood. You can't just accept the outcome, the output from the algorithms, the AI algorithms. The algorithms themselves, as you know, are based on training data sets that then inform the algorithm and give you the output um, that you may be seeking. But unless you look under the hood, so to speak, and do uh, examine uh, carefully how these algorithms are developed or what the training data sets were based on, you're not going to have a clue if there's algorithmic bias or discrimination or tyranny, the algorithms or whatever. So I, I extended my privacy by design framework to AI ethics by design, an ethical framework that embeds privacy into the design of AI. And we're having great, great interest in it. And I'll give you one example of the consequences of not doing this. Last year, there was a case that went to the Supreme Court of Canada and and it was very it was successful. The Supreme Court ruled in his favor. This was a uh, an indigenous individual, a Métis gentleman, and he was in prison and he was up for parole. And Correctional Services Canada used uh, AI algorithm to determine the likelihood of recidivism for this individual. Mm-hmm. And they, they the output was they said, oh well, look, your high likelihood of recidivism. We're not going to give you parole because you'll be back here. And he took this to court. His lawyers challenged it beautifully. And they said, we, we want to look at the algorithm. We want to look at the training data sets that, that fed the algorithm, etc. And what they found was that the training data sets that were used 
did not bear any resemblance. The population that was drawn upon had no indigenous individuals in it. So it no, had no Métis people. It, it didn't apply to this individual. And that's the case he made to the Supreme Court. He said, look, this algorithmic formation doesn't reflect me. It's based on different populations that you can't bear um, the results of their output uh, that it's going to apply to me as well. He took this all the way to the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court ruled in his favor. And he said, you're absolutely right. This is clearly biased in a direction that is not reflected of the population that this gentleman comes from. So they reversed it. So anyway, I just thought that was a concrete example of why you must interrogate not only the algorithms, but also the training data sets. And you have to do this with people who know what to do, you know, data scientists and people who do work in this area for it to be meaningful. You and I, well, maybe not you, but if I was just looking at an <laughs> algorithm, that would mean nothing. You need the qualified individuals to interrogate these. I may not know what the algorithm says anymore, and either <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm here. To, I, I'm here on. I'm here on a podcast talking to business leaders. So, uh, um, but uh, but I I love super high level. I I'm I'm a tech. I'm a geek at heart, right? So this stuff. Yes. This stuff, I mean, it's really interesting and it really mind blowing. I know if, if it is for myself and, and my listeners, even that story in terms of the data sets and, and basically the data pro, it's like data profiling of the wrong person, right? Exactly. Um, well put. Yeah. Yes. So it's, it's super interesting and, and, and glad that, you know, we have folks like yourself and who's thinking about this in terms Thank of you. like, you know, the AI ethics and, and people have no idea, like, what's happening, right? Because the majority of us are users and I'm on Facebook every day as well because I exactly. do social media. You, you don't know what's happening in behind the scenes. So super good. Um, I'm having a blast and I think I could talk to you forever about this stuff. And <laughs> <laughs> I, might, I, might, I, I might be knocking on your door one day later this week. I'm like, hey, tell me more about that. <laughs> um, of course. I, I wanted to, this being, you know, very specific in terms of business leadership and, and a lot of my yes. listeners may be interested. I'd love just to get, you know, a quick insight in terms of, you know, about yourself as you continually to be in the forefront of a lot of technology and some of this thought leadership. So how, how are you continually to grow yourself as a business leader? You know, I work with a lot of businesses. Businesses come to me and they say, we want to do better at this. We know privacy is very important to our customers. Um, how would we apply privacy by design? And one of the benefits, and I walk them through this, and I work with them if they have uh, concrete examples. Because, for example, th there are seven foundational principles to privacy by design. Um, I think I've walked through being proactive. Privacy as the default setting is just so important. It means you don't rely on your customers to have to spend all the time searching through the terms of service and all the legalese and the privacy policy to find the opt-out box that says, do not use my information for any purpose other than the primary purpose of the data collection. Spare your customers that ordeal and give it to them. Privacy is the default says we will only use your information for the primary purpose of the data into collection intended. We can't use it for any other purposes. We automatically give you privacy. And if we want to use it down the road for some secondary use that arises, we'll come back to you and seek your positive consent. That builds trust like no other. You have no idea how much it increases the trust of your customers and gains their loyalty. And the thing is, when you do that, you also benefit as well. Because if you go down, I think it's the uh, sixth principle of privacy by design, uh, all the things that I consider to be obvious that aren't obvious to businesses, 
you should give you, uh, your customers access to their data. They should be able to see whatever data you have on them. And the reason this is enormously beneficial to businesses, this is what they've told me, is they love doing this because if there's inaccurate information, any mistakes, the business isn't going to catch it. The individuals catch it. The customers catch it. And then they say to the business, oh, this information is wrong. You've got this incorrect. And they benefit enormously. It improves the quality of their data. And these are the kinds of things, the whole positive sum model, you know, abandon either or win-lose zero sum models and embrace multiple functionalities. They love this because not only are their business interests served, but their customers' privacy needs are served. It's a massive win-win that then the customers bring their friends and family over to that company and they say, look what these guys are doing for me. It just continues to build positive relationships, you gain such a competitive advantage by doing this. So when I meet with businesses, I drive this home. And I also drive the home for security. If you don't have strong security and from end to end with full life cycle pr protection in this day and age of daily attacks and phishing, you're not going to have any fraud privacy. So start building a strong foundation of security and then grow from that the privacy at it. So I walk them through all of the things that I think they should be doing and how they can do it. And, and one simple thing, I always ask, do you have a data map? And they look at me, usually with a blank stare. <laughs> and I say, you need a, a map. You need to know when the data enters, your personal data enters, usually at the front first um, point of entry is for the purpose you've collected the information properly with the consent of the data subject. But then where does it go from there? Does it flow to other departments? Invariably, how can you navigate the flow of the information if you don't have a data map? And by doing that, you can be alert yourself right away. Oh, I need to obtain additional positive consent here. We're now using it in a slightly different way for a secondary use. Or, oh, I need to, this, we've completed our use of this data. It's no longer useful. We need to delete it right away. I always tell people, don't maintain data at rest because it will just attract uh, it'll be like a magnet for phishing attacks and data breaches, etc. Delete the data. But if you if you absolutely do not want to delete the data, at least encrypt all data at rest. Protect it so that it's not a magnet for the bad guys. So I just walk through a number of steps like this, and then before you know it, it doesn't take that long. You have a much stronger business with which helps the business interests and gains you such a positive advantage with your customers, you, their loyalty will be retained and you will attract new opportunity, a true win-win. I mean, that's, I you know, th th this stuff is really great. And, and, and I was thinking about, you know, my onboarding, for example, with, with my with my guests here for the podcast. And a lot of it is systemized already. And just like, imagine I'm messaging you and says like, oh, by the way, you know, we just deleted your data. I'm, I'm sure some of my CEO guests would be like, oh, that was amazing. How did you do that, right? <laughs> like you, you, you will get replied back. I think that's what you're trying to say in terms of like your clients will really trust you. If you're exactly. If you're telling them what they're what you're doing with the data or that, oh, the per permission you gave me um, actually doesn't allow me to do this. Can you, do you give me permission to do that? Like that's, yes. I've never seen that happen yet to me. Maybe I, maybe, maybe my junk mail is too, <laughs> maybe my junk mail is too, too much right now, but <laughs> I, 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 it's a work in progress. <laughs> it is a work in progress. Well, I mean, that, that's a positive sign in terms of the work that's being there. And a lot of, it sounds like to me anyways, a lot of the companies are buying into it now. Um, Absolutely. And you'll see more and more of that. 
So before we end, I got a couple more, but I want to ask a fun question, uh, you know, from the ex-commissioner here. <laughs> um, <laughs> if I were to ask any of your team members, colleagues, peers, uh, anyone past, present, what's the best leadership quality that you possess? What do you think they would say, Anne? Oh, I, I hope they would say persistence. I, I'm like the dog with the bone. And <laughs> I just, I try never to give up. It's And it's depressing at times, I can assure you. There are many times when you just want to throw your hands up and say, that's it. But allow yourself that for a moment and then get past it and find ways, different ways of obtaining the solution you're seeking. Uh, and, and I hope they would say that I'm respectful. I try to be respectful of everyone that I work with. And that includes, you know, I do a lot of work when I was commissioner, a lot of work with law enforcement. Uh, I have great respect for the police, but they can't just access your data because they want to. Uh, if they have probable cause, they can go to a judge and get a warrant, then be my guest by all means. So there's always ways of doing things properly. That's what I want to advance in terms of privacy and fill in the blank. We can do this, multiple gains. Love it. Before we end, and any final thoughts, observations? Ideally, I know I know you just mentioned a couple of recommendations, but something that a final thought that you could leave with the listeners uh, today um, uh, that are that are leading businesses. I would I would just tell them take the burden off of your customers. Don't expect them to figure out how to protect their privacy when that that role resides with you as a business. You're collecting their data. It's up to you to ensure them that their data will be retained securely and used for the purposes intended. Develop that trusted business relationship with your customers and it, you, will, you will thank them again and again. It'll be a, a win-win proposition and it will attract more customers and more opportunity. So just think of privacy as a positive, not a negative. It doesn't stifle creativity and innovation. It does the opposite. It breeds innovation and prosperity. Think of it as multiple positive gains. That's awesome. And to close, can you tell us where we can find more information about you, uh, your work, or anything else you'd like to share with us today? You know what? I'd love people to go to this new website I created uh, called GPS by Design. GPS as in Sam by Design, all one word, dot O-R-G. This is a, a a wonderful, I think, new, I created a global, um, I wanted a glo international global council for privacy and security by design. So I expanded it to privacy and security by design. I did an international global council because I wanted this followed all around the world. And we did a, a fundraiser for it last year. It's a not-for-profit corporation. We did a fundraiser to raise funds to advance research on privacy and security, privacy and data utility, privacy and business interests. And we've had great success with it. Uh, go to our website. If you believe in the privacy and security message, please join our GPS, Global Privacy and Security by Design Council. By joining, there's no charge or anything. It'll just show that you agree with the mentality that you can do privacy and fill in the blank. And we put articles on there. You'll see a number of us speaking at this event. Uh, we update it regularly. So you might enjoy taking a look at the website. Definitely. And we will share that. Thank you for letting us know, Anne. And I really appreciate your time joining us on the Business Leadership Podcast. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. That's it, Biz Leaders. Thank you for joining me on the Business Leadership Podcast. This was episode number 107 with Dr. Ann Kavokian. If you want to learn more about Dr. Kavokian, 
privacy by design, any of her works or anything else that we discuss, please go to thebusinessleadership.com slash 107. As mentioned, join me on my private Facebook group where I will discuss this episode, answer your questions and connect you with other like-minded business leaders. Simply search for the Business Leadership Group directly in Facebook. And if you haven't done so yet, please subscribe and rate this podcast on Apple, Google Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or wherever you're listening today. Thank you again. Edwin signing off. Thank you for listening to the Business Leadership Podcast at thebusinessleadership.com. Help me.